thank you so much for joining us. Um, really appreciate you coming on board. How is everything? Good. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Good, good, good. Appreciate it. I can go about doing like a quick little background on our end. And then, of yeah. course, um, happy to, of course, send it over to you. Okay, that sounds good. Sweet. Sweet. So Rohit Morani here, uh, one of the co-founders here of Office Hours. Idea is, is that we've helped out, honestly, over the last like couple of years, over a thousand individuals, breaking into banking, breaking into private equity. Um, we're basically getting to the point, Jay, of literally offering up guarantees that you come to us, you go through our program, and we will help you get a job guaranteed, whether it be in banking, whether it be on the buy side. Um, we're pretty darn rigorous when it comes to thinking through the individuals um, and frankly, a lot of vetting, right? GPAs, requirements, what are you looking to do? Where are you looking to work? Are you at a bank today? Are you looking to go to the buy side? How realistic is it, right? That mega fund that you're kind of aiming for. Do you know much about it type of situation? So we really try to educate many of our mentees as a whole. Um, but Jay, thank you so much, man. Honestly, um, you and I connected, I want to say, probably during platinum equity timeframe, yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, probably SoCal, I think it was too. Yep. Love it. Love it. So, but I mean, obviously you bring extensive, extensive experience here in the space. We'll love to learn a little bit more around your background. And then maybe you want to start off with an introduction. Yeah, sure. So maybe on the personal side first. So I'm born and raised in Texas. I actually grew up overseas most of my life. So spent time in Europe, Asia, finished high school in Venezuela, and then came back to Texas for college. So it's the University of Texas at Austin. Um, Initially thought I was going to be a dentist just because my older brother was in med, you know, pursuing med school and I also wanted to be called a doctor, but ended up, you know, trying out the whole finance route. Got my internship in investment banking at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, joined there full time and then joined a few private equity firms doing infrastructure Pantheon in San Francisco, followed by more of a generalist role at Platinum in Los Angeles. And then I recently joined uh, Kiro Pet Care. We are uh, a search fund consolidating the veterinary space and joined them almost two years now. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. I remember we were connecting um, around, of course, you looking at Kiro and effectively evaluating, joining them. Time flies. Yeah, yeah, it sure did. That's phenomenal. If we take a step back, because I mean, there's so many questions to get into, right? The search fund side of things, what it looked like on the infra, then generalist, how banking set you up for those various opportunities. If we take it back quite a bit, high school in Venezuela, tell us more, man. I actually <laughs> don't have too much insight into that other than, of course, looking at your LinkedIn, but we'll love to learn a little bit more how that came about. Yeah. So it was actually one of my favorite countries I lived in. It was still pretty dangerous, but not as bad as what it is today. But um, it was just nice where, you know, school was easier, but, you know, every day after school, we'd all be on the beaches and just doing water sports. And it's nice to just, you know, it was definitely a way more relaxing lifestyle than what I'm used to today, especially. But, you know, the culture, the Spanish music, everything, it was just, it was just fun to be a part of it and, you know, get to immerse myself in it. Wow. And it was family reasons that you ended up there? Yeah, so my dad, we moved around every couple of years because my dad's job. Oil and gas, or call it. Yep, exactly. That makes sense. Nice, nice. Very cool. Um, how was the high school experience as a whole? And as you were looking into college, um, what did that transition look like? So you were really thinking kind of like dentist, medicine side of the house? 
Yeah, yeah. So I was applying to all of the direct dental programs where you don't take the debt. Wow. Uh, but yeah, but then my <clears throat> my brother convinced me to just go to UT Austin, you know, go to state school and enjoy it. And, you know, if you're smart enough, somebody in dental, you know, some dental school will accept you and, you know, really thought that was the route I was going to take. So I was just kind of triple majoring throughout right. college with, um, with the pre-dent track on the side as well. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, dual, dual streaming the whole finance and dentistry route. And I think, you know, sophomore year, I got an internship at an oil company and that really, you know, set the, you know, kind of got me into oil and gas investment banking as Houston's a huge recruit, you know, recruiting town for UT Austin. And then after my internship, really liked it. And so it just kind of made sense to drop dentistry after that. Damn. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes sense. I think that's um, part of the reason that, like, honestly, like internships exist as a whole, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. My parents were a bit disappointed, not going to get dental care for the rest of their life. But (laughs) yeah. How, um, and then tell us a little bit more around um, kind of what that internship looked like. And then of course, kind of that like thought process around like call it banking as a whole, right? Because of course, I'm sure to a certain degree, campus recruitment and of course, kind of thinking through maybe what sort of sectors you want to cover. Do you want to be on the banking side of things? Do you want to be on the trading side? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I just felt like everybody in business school and at least the, the honors program I was in was trying to go for investment banking. And I was, you know, I was pretty gun ho on, you know, going the whole, I was like pretty focused on the dentistry routes. I didn't really know too much on, you know, different, you know, trading versus investment banking versus all the other options. And so kind of just got lucky, to be honest. Um, And during my internship, or, you know, I remember before recruiting, there was like a whole super week in January, Mm -hmm. investment banks came to UT and we were just being interviewed pretty much over a span of a week and then they'd call us into their offices and then, you know, present offers within, you know, 24 hours. So it was a really intense, uh, intense, you know, couple weeks there, but um, I'm glad it just, you know, I guess kind of went into it, not knowing what to expect, but, you know, came out really pleasantly surprised with the whole experience. Yep. Yep. So Tell us a little bit more, if you don't mind me asking. So it was private wealth and then moved over to banking, right? How does one do that? And a lot of Merrill experience, right? And kind of like really getting to know the firm. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, especially at like cities like Austin and, you know, smaller cities, there's always like private wealth opportunities. You just got to reach out to that bank and, you know, sure you're not doing any, you know, crazy intense model modeling experience, but at least being in that environment where you can, surround yourself, you know, with, you know, high finance folks and just learn from them, Mm -hmm. you know, really does help you kind of figure out, is this something that you see yourself doing in the long term? Would you say that, what did that pivot look like from private wealth to banking? And would you say that that's something that individuals can emulate today? Yeah, I think so. I think investment banks, especially like summer internships, they just want to see some experience on your belt. Mm-hmm. on your resume and so um so as long as you're doing you know i think for me the whole chevron internship and oil and gas doing that after private wealth having that oil and gas experience really 
you know, made my resume more favorable to some of the oil and gas investment banks in Houston. So even if it's not, you know, private wealth, but maybe there's like an industry where you could get an internship and then leverage that to, you know, one of the bank groups that are specialized in that industry, I think it could, it could definitely help on the recruiting side. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. We tend to uh, we tend to hear this quite a bit, right? We have individuals. I was connecting with an individual earlier today, and he's looking into like um, I think it's called like TRTX, like TPG's real estate platform. Um, but the idea is like if you can't necessarily get into banking, so then you focus on like whether it be like real estate brokerage, commercial side of things, and then from there potentially try to lateral whether it be into banking or private equity, but always creative ways, right? Um, to kind of like think about that. Um, as we kind of think about, of course, banking as a whole and what happened thereafter, right? Um, well, if we start off, how was your time at Merrill, right? And like when people think of BAML today, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, of course, after kind of like this like massive transaction that went down, was it different from what you hear around individuals in banking today? Sorry, that last part of your question. Sure. I'm going to say call it like started banking in 2014 yep. we're in 2022 you still have friends in banking have you had those conversations around how things have differentiated i'm not sure if you've kept in touch with people in that same group have they kind of like spread out all over from an alumni network perspective yeah so i'm so in touch with my analyst class there were six of us nice still going to each other's weddings and whatnot um but at this point nobody's in investment banking i think one guy ended up lateraling to a different bank after mm -hmm. many years, but all of us kind of moved on to like private equity, uh, strategy, corporate, something along those lines. Nice. Nice. And, but still in finance to a certain degree, whether it be buy side, sell side, more or less, it sounds like it's more buy side. Um, but that honestly just brings up the point of like really keeping in touch with a lot of people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. There's just like background noise. That I couldn't hear you. Don't worry about it. No, no, no worries. No, I was just thinking like basically like the network carries a lot of weight, right? Those six individuals that you had mentioned, um, which I think definitely applies quite a bit. So if we dive into, of course, the infrastructure and real asset space, and then of course, going down the route of a little bit more generalist, and then from there a little bit more, even on the healthcare side. Um, tell us a little bit more. Was the infrastructure real asset side, it just ended up being like a natural parallel? Is that something that you wanted to pursue from the onset? Was the idea like, bro, I want to get to generalist, but this was my way there? Yeah, yeah, good question. So I I felt like coming out of oil and gas investment banking out of Houston, it definitely pigeonholed me to, you know, mostly oil and gas private equity firms. Mm -hmm. and infrastructure kind of fell in, into that section as well. And so that was really the main reason why I ended up, you know, going to an infrastructure private equity firm. Mm -hmm. uh, I, <clears throat> yeah, I think it was just, most relevant with all my experience and to be honest like I kind of just took every job as I can like I wasn't really planning for I feel like a lot of people just want to plan you know like their two-year five-year ten years out and I kind of just had to go job by job was just you know deciding once I got there what's mm -hmm. my next step what I want to do you know and I I think just having that infrastructure private equity experience though really was what landed me my job at platinum being more of a generalist private equity route <clears throat> company because then at least i had some more 
you know, private equity experience that, you know, even though it's still oil and gas, I thought the private equity side of something better than Yep. Yep. Nice. No, um, that makes sense. Would, would you give that advice to individuals or how would you position it when it comes to individuals thinking through like, Hey, I'm in oil and gas today, but I might be looking to make an industry switch or maybe go a little bit more generalist, right? Like individuals that are like healthcare bankers or consumer bankers, and then looking to go maybe a little bit more generalist. How do you advise something like that? And I'm sure you've seen it on the other end, right? When you're interviewing individuals, and thinking through that as well, being like listening to stories about the pivot. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a few ways you can do what I did. Um, I think generalist private equity firms, they do appreciate some sort of private equity experience, whether it's super you know, focused on one industry or not. So I think that's one route. The other option is it is easier to land more of a strategy or finance role at, a, you know, just a fortune 500 or, you know, I guess there's, it's not easy, but it's definitely more doable. And so I think people could pivot from like healthcare banking or oil and gas banking, go to like a tech company, get that experience and then go into, you know, more of a private equity on a generalist or a different industry based on that company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And when you think about it, how, um, I guess how tangential was that role itself, right? Coming from the real assets infrastructure side of things, I'm sure to a certain degree, like, of course, Platinum is pretty business services oriented, but how was the learning curve on learning more about other industries as a whole? Um, was there kind of that like thought in the back of the head, like, hey, listen, I'm going to try this out for a little bit maybe pursue healthcare down the line. I, I think Curo, we can get to that thereafter, kind of learning more about that opportunity, um, but really just getting an understanding of like, if someone does deal with a pivot, how do you ramp on that learning curve to get an understanding of that new industry? Yeah. So I think the good thing is that you go to a generalist firm. So we evaluated so many different companies. Like I remember one of them was a diabetes company. Nobody on the deal team really was an expert into it or, you know, expert going into it. Mm -hmm. and so, you know, I, I don't necessarily think I was at a disadvantage, you know, when we started evaluating that company and the industry if anything, you know, coming in as an associate or senior associate, you're expected to do a lot of the market research and get up to speed first before the rest of the team. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, doing like reference calls and just reading appropriate articles and just really diving into it. I felt, you know, I think that's a good thing about going to a general, generalist firm is that you're kind of, you know, nobody's an expert until after that deal is done to some degree. And so, you know, even though my past experience was in oil and gas, I think even if I came from like a different industry and was going to a generalist firm, I think, you know, you really got to dive into the details of whatever company you're looking at. And chances are you probably don't have that much experience going into it. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, any advice that you would give to Jay, call it like, eight to 10 years prior, as you were thinking through getting into banking, real assets, traditional private equity, kind of maybe something you know today that you would think back, like, hey, I wish I knew this back then. Um, <clears throat> I wish I, you know, just didn't stress out as much about everything. Like everything happens for a reason. Everything kind of just works out at the end. And, you know, you have a good attitude and you're positive about you know, whatever you're working on, just kind of live in the moment and everything will kind of just play itself out 
over time. Yeah, no, no, I think uh, I think that honestly makes a lot of sense. Um, tell us a little bit more, Jay. So San Francisco to LA, you've lived in Houston before. I know you spent time in New York. We have many individuals that come to us that generally, New York's a big market, right? For a lot of bankers, New York's a big market for a lot of private equity. But the reality is that they're phenomenal shops kind of all over the country, all over the world to a certain degree. However, there is this like aversion almost to moving, right? And getting kind of out of your comfort zone. How was that on your end? Yeah, I think I just grew up moving and we had to move every couple of years. Well, moving for opportunity, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I think just growing up, having to move around so much, it kind of sucks. You're leaving your friends and your whole like home base behind and you're moving to a new city. But I think every city I did move to, I just got lucky in the sense that there's a lot of just there's a big UT network and then just meeting friends of friends. I think you have to be more proactive, especially at this age, um, you know, when you're not in a university setting to go meet people and make friends. But all right, looks like I got a question. What trends are you currently seeing in the pet industry and what trends do you think will be taking place in 2023 in the pet industry? So seems like, well, thanks for that question, guys. Seems like, you know, everybody's been getting dogs and cats during COVID. And so that's really, you know, spurred up the industry growth. I think most veterinary clinics that we're looking at are seeing double digit growth over the last year or so. And okay, I was just answering this anonymous question. Oh, perfect. So sorry about that. Um, What was the question? And continue. I'm not sure how internet blanked out says what trends you currently see in the pet industry and what do you think will take place in 2023? Um, I was saying just, especially on the M&A side, there's been a lot of, you know, a lot of consolidation because of all this growth, especially. Um, I'm sure at some point there's going to be some contraction, especially we're heading into a recession, you know, maybe more on the specialty emergency side where, you know, the average bill could easily be like five, 10, $15,000 for your pet. Wow. Maybe that's when we see a bit more contraction and, you know, during more of a recession time period, but I think on the general practice side where people are doing their check-ins and appointments and whatnot, maybe a smaller contraction, but people still, you know, dogs and cats and, you know, want to make sure they're okay, especially since they're part of family at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. No, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. Honestly, um, it's rather unfortunate. I've heard um, call it pet adoption went up quite a bit during COVID. Mm-hmm. And apparently after, um, frankly, individuals just start, started, of course, putting their pets up for adoption because they had to go back to work. Yeah, I read that. You know, I feel like a lot of companies are doing work or, you know, if they're still going to have that work from home or hybrid work from home, maybe that would kind of help decrease or reduce that you know, returning of those pets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely a, it's a sad moment. Uh, we got a dog before then and we still have him, but. Um, oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shih Tzu. Yeah. Oh. If you hear him barking in the background, it's because he's not super social to say the least. Um, but tell us a little bit more. So you're traveling right now. How, what does a day-to-day look like? Activeness when it comes to, of course, like visiting sites, facilities, how much autonomy do you have? We'll love to learn more. Yeah, so day-to-day, it's really a mix. I feel like what's exciting about this job is no day is the same. Um, we're always looking, you know, there's always some new 
hospital on sale that we're looking at. I think this whole time we've been really uh, focused on California, all but two of our hospitals are based out of here, but now we're actively expanding to different states. Um, it is nice to have that autonomy, like heading up all the M&A at this company. And so, you know, just whatever, I feel like I'm at this point where they're trusting me of my valuation and uh, the route we want to take for each of these hospitals. So it has been a lot easier to just, you know, discuss it with our team and just, you know, put in the offer and, you know, hope for the best from that perspective. Mm -hmm. I think there's a good mix of M&A, diligence, support dev, operations, and, you know, site travels. I think probably half of my time is on like the corp dev and M&A side. Mm -hmm. yeah, we're spending time like traveling, meeting, going to different hospitals, meeting doctors, um, and, you know, just getting our name there, really. That's phenomenal. Do you think that um, an individual that only did banking um, would be positioned for this or it's all in all honesty, right? Like now you're seeing all aspects being an operator effectively. Um, and I guess my real question ends up being like, is there any like any perfect time to make that jump, right? A lot of people will say like, oh, I want to do, I want to go to business school. I want to do my banking. I want to do my private equity and then maybe eventually start my own thing. We had my friend on last week. I'm not sure if you're able to see, but he started his own fund. And I think his whole concept was like, I don't think there's any like perfect time, but at some point um, you can start dabbling with stuff outside of your day to day, right? And see how actively involved you can get. And eventually if that side gig gets big enough, you make the jump. It's a little, it's a little tougher to do in traditional finance, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, I mean, we'd love to learn more, a little bit more like, or excuse me, we'd love to learn a little bit more around your prior experience and how that's best positioned you today, even though Technically, you didn't work within the pet care space so much, right? That was maybe a vertical you looked at at Platinum? Yeah, no. So actually before Platinum, me and my friend Jimmy, we we were just looking at the pet space just for fun when I was at Pantheon. And we were you know, just studying the space, wanted to you know build out some dog daycare facilities just for fun nice. on the side. So I think when we were looking at that is when I was just studying the pet space now that Platinum, we never really, or at least I never came across any pet space deal. I'm sure like somebody else on a different team did, but I felt every industry I was analyzing, I'd always compare it to the pet space and always found the pet space just to be super exciting and just, you know, interesting in its own ways. And so when this opportunity came up to head up m &A at a pet, you know, a veterinary consolidator, I just thought be kind of, you know, the best of both worlds here, really. I think um, every experience I did have has led me to the next job. Like, I don't think I would have been at Platinum without my experience at Pantheon, without my experience at B of A. So I do believe like every job I've had has given me different skill sets to really prepare me best for this role. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah. and different learning opportunities each and every single day, I'm sure. Otherwise, part of it is, of course, like, you know, staying there for those opportunities kind of that learning curve. Yep. Sorry, like you you see different opportunities day in and day out where of course, like as the business gets bigger, um, more and more things yeah. to do. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like coming to like a company like Kiro, where it's just a small company, I think there's like less than 20 of us um, at the corporate level. Everybody's just wearing multiple hats at this point. You just kind of help in on, you know, different roles and responsibilities. So I do think that does, you know, keep every day a different, you know, just 
any learning curve, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bread and butter on your end um, when it comes to as you think about, and we can definitely get this get to this question in a second here too. Um, but call it if you're pitching to a hospital, what's the 30 second pitch look like? And kind of like the bread and butter of Kira. Yeah. So um, I would just talk about like how we're a family owned veterinary company. Uh, we're based out of California. Um, <clears throat> you know, we empower doctors to be co-owners alongside us. So we help out with the back office administrative duties and really help doctors be owners alongside us and, you know, help, help them maintain that work-life balance. Um, we're really different from the traditional corporate, which is taking over the space because we don't have any debt or finance associated with us. Everything's fully self-funded and we have a much longer term approach to veterinary care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, partnering with us is definitely the feels a little bit different because I'm not, you know, talking to a current doctor to you, but, course, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. I guess we really just highlight the points about us being family owned based out of California. We're all yeah. owner operators. We're, we're investing our own money here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not investing like Blackstone private equity, like billion dollars or something, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that really resonates with them. Um, you know, just trend in the space overall, by the way, there's a lot of, you know, corporates taking over, and unfortunately, they're not able to run it as good. I think what really distinguishes us is that we always have a local doctor be a co-owner alongside us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whenever you have a vested owner on site, that does make a huge difference to, you know, the operations, the customer service and just everything. And it, you know, I think that's ultimately what, you know, makes that hospital the best as community. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I think definitely that element of like no outside capital, family ownership, really focused, of course, kind of that like boutique angle definitely sells even as you can scale. Yeah. Um, you see many larger companies doing that as well, right? Like family owned on the, like you can see Fidelity is like technically family owned or family managed. Um, they're massive, right? One of the largest asset managers out there. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's all part of the story. Um, so a couple of questions were more around like the private equity and the pet space as a whole, right? Because it's definitely been hot recently. Um I guess the question is, are you seeing a lot of private equity activity in the pet space? If so, what makes the industry attractive? Do you think it's the lack of uh, sports have been, has seen this quite a bit too, right? Sports teams and organizations. Um, Is it just kind of like the whole like general thesis that private equity will take over each and every single vertical um, inevitably, right? Like consistently moving down the line? Yeah, yeah. I feel like this trend in the pet space have followed the dental space like five years later. Mm-hmm. And we saw this huge consolidation of the dental space like three to five years ago. And now this all happened in the pet space. I think what's attractive about this space is, you know, there's a lot of growth going on. Um, dogs and cats, like I think when you look at different trends of like how much people are willing to spend on their own pets, that's, you know, exponentially increasing year over year. Mm-hmm. I think the millennials, everybody's getting pets before they're having kids. A lot mm-hmm. of people are opting to not have kids, you know, altogether. And so pets are becoming increasingly more important in, you know, the American household. Mm-hmm. That combined with the margins, margins are really high in the veterinary space, especially. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's necessarily true for all, you know, 
different verticals within the pest space, like I think food and boarding would have lower lower margins on the veterinary side. I think the cash flow opportunity here does make it more attractive <clears throat> from the private equity perspective. And then on top of that, the whole space for the most part has been run by older veterinarians. A lot of it, there's a lot of, you know, outdated, you know, systems in place. For example, like a lot of hospitals that are not taken over, they're still on paper records, which, you know, everything kind of, you know, being put on the cloud and more digitalized. And there's still like 10 steps backwards from that. I think um, <clears throat> even, yeah, I guess that's, you know, like just like how some of these older veterans that are not corporate, like the way they do marketing, the way they're doing, you know, all of their operations even within the hospital, there's so many better ways you can do it. And mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of, you know, opportunity for growth, both on like the, cost savings and, you know, revenue generating side here that private equity firms really want to take advantage of. Yep. Yep. And to someone thinking about it, and we'll get to this other question in a second, would you advise almost someone thinking about this, potentially going to a firm where they have the opportunity to take advantage of such tailwinds by basically being at like a fund, right? Or going directly to a business that you end up being super passionate about, that you're learning quite a bit about, and you're like, hey, listen, like, you're at a fund, right? Like a platinum equity at the end of the day, your carry is dispersed amongst various deals, amongst various verticals. Um, and technically your risk is diversified too. Versus of course, on the operating side, it's like, listen, I'm really going to double down here. Like, my two cents would be like, listen, on the operating side, maybe three, five years, and then you can see an exit. Fund is longer. Yeah. I don't think there's necessarily one correct way to do it. I do think, you know, Going into something more specific, kind of like Shiro, is definitely high risk, high reward to some degree. I think what I appreciate about it was more just the autonomy to do everything. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think at many private equity firms, you have, you know, so many people involved in handling a different vertical. Mm -hmm. I think just more, I really took this opportunity more just to get more, you know, in the operational side aspect, uh, you know get more of like an operational side to the company mm -hmm. or you know, exposure to that. And so that's really what attracted me to it. Yep. Uh, and uh, yeah. Well, being able to take that experience and then of course you can move forward in different directions. If you yeah. want to potentially start your own services org, if you want to start like a search fund within the space, not to mention, of course, um, just being an operator, right. Um, and really getting an understanding of like really deep within a vertical and then, of course, being like, listen, like I can bring on other industry experts from other verticals and then, of course, kind of have this like amalgamation of different experience put together. And if you want to do like other deals within other verticals, like all of a sudden it becomes a generalist shop. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Interesting stuff, man. Um, other question was around there's a lot of been, there's been a lot of consolidation in vet space. What other segments of the pet industry do you think um, are gaining focus in the M&A market if you come across stuff yourself? Like a chewy was just massive, right? Obviously not within M&A space as a whole, um, but I feel like that was just like one macro factor um, post-COVID where of course like businesses like that had like really taken off. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of, well, definitely the veterinary space, right? But I think outside of that, um, let's see, what I've, you know, what I've noticed is that whatever's kind of becoming popular on the human side, 
we're seeing, you know, that being translated to the pet space. So like, I feel like there's a lot of diet trends, like, you know, people want to go gluten-free or vegan or vegetarian, and you're seeing those same diets being implemented in different foods, you know, for dogs and cats. I think there's, you know- Organic elements. Exactly. And so I think, you know, people are willing to, you know, they treat their dogs like, you know, like, or, you know, kids exactly i feel like i've become like the second or third favorite child after my parents got their dog (laughs) and so you know i think whatever you know i think we're just seeing everything going on whatever is becoming popular on the human side we're kind of seeing that directly translate to the pet side as well Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no and you definitely see it with um call it like fresher food, right? You can actually buy like refrigerated food and just like feed your pet that instead of like the traditional like kibble. And I'm thinking about this more from like a dog perspective, Um, accessories galore, right? I mean, like these days you can buy like a stroller of north of like a thousand dollars, right? For like a human baby. And I assume that's going to carry weight into, of course, kind of like the animal sector as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, You're already seeing like designer clothes for dogs and cats. So just a matter of time until you know if that really blows up maybe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anything else you've been following within private equity as a whole or do you kind of think um well we can get to a market question right after um but if you have funds obviously like a platinum like a cdnr like a gen star raising larger and larger vehicles i mean you tell me right like do you think like private equity has changed or changing kind of from where you were even like a couple of years at a larger fund or do you think this like upward trend of larger and larger vehicles, larger check sizes will just continue? Like when does it stop? Yeah, um, I think, you know, kind of goes, I agree with your second point. You know, people are, are like all these funds continue raising more and more capital, which means you got to do bigger check sizes. And, you know, actually, I don't really have an answer for that to be honest. Yeah. Any thoughts on market conditions as a whole, as you kind of like think about this um, and maybe what you've seen, I'm not sure if it comes down to um, multiples, but just in general, kind of like how your team's been thinking about the market going into 2023. Yeah. So we've definitely seen some contraction already on the veterinary side. Uh, I think, you know, the multiples are kind of nuts right now, like individual clinics, they'll go anywhere from like, five times EBITDA up to 20 times EBITDA and the consolidators were seeing them at like 20 to 25 times. And, um, and I think, you know, people are definitely getting a bit more cautious on the multiple sides. So I've seen like a couple of turns of contraction recently, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's still, still pretty high at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Um, I think it's going to take some time, right? Like anything else? Yeah, I'd hope so too. <laughs> Let's take a look here. Um, yeah, honestly, another market-based question. Um, but basically, how's your team's deal appetite changed as we enter Q4? Do you vary, actually, Jay, if you don't mind me asking a little bit more between like M&A and then, of course, like the strategy element, someone thinking about getting into a role where it's like, hey, listen, like I will be focused on corp dev strategy. Um, I'm not sure if FP&A accounting is part of it, strategy at a higher level and ops is part of it. But what does that look like? And then, of course, um, we can get to this question as well. It, it kind of goes in tandem with the question here, basically like Teal's uh, team's deal 
appetite? Because if you're not doing deals, then you're, of course, you're focused on other organic growth initiatives. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, I saw on the strategy side, we've definitely, just given how crazy some of these multiples are, um, we have been doing a lot of, we've shifted part of our strategy to be doing de novo startups. Hmm. Okay. And so we're building these hospitals ground up from scratch. And it's been really successful. Like we, the first one that we did, it's just as busy as some of these hospitals that have been open for five, 10, 15 years. Wow. I think, you know, it's significantly cheaper. It's even more attractive to recruit doctors and staff to support in hospitals, you know, more just modern, up-to-date um, operations and everything in the hospitals. So it's really, you know, it's definitely more attractive when it comes to recruiting and, growing, and you know, just attracting clientele altogether. Um, the other strategy, or so, yeah, I guess, you know, or what do you want me to elaborate on exactly? No, no, no. I think that makes sense as a whole. Um, and it really comes down to, of course, kind of that like market question around like deal appetite um, going forward. Yeah. So we're a pretty small company. We've like, I mean, we've doubled over the last year, mm-hmm. but we're still, you know, we have a lot of hospitals in our pipeline and we're definitely, you know, not trying to, we don't really have necessarily internal targets. We have to be at X number by this month, mm-hmm. or anything, yeah. but, you know, we do want to, we have a lot, you know, keeping us busy for, you know, Q4 and, you know, I don't think, we're kind of, you know, we want to just make sure every acquisition we do, we're able to handle it and just add appropriate personnel on the Curo side to make sure we're, not, you know, we're able to do the best we can. But don't necessarily think anything's changed from like a market perspective or anything like that in terms of our deal flow. Yep. Yep. I don't know if you can hear that's literally CJ, my dog, barking in the background. Yeah. So sorry about that. Um, hopefully you, you don't hear too much. Um, Perfect. Jay, any questions on our end? Um, of course, as you kind of like think about this, we'd love to learn as you were a junior banker, mentors that helped you out along the way, as you thought about the career, as you thought about like different opportunities, um, because that really is kind of like what we're bringing forth here. Obviously, it's a lot of interview prep and like very targeted to help individuals think through next steps. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more on your end, mentors that helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, yeah. Um... I feel like, you know, definitely like starting off in undergrad, I joined that investment banking club. And so a lot of those seniors were able to guide me through different, you know, books and whatnot. And, you know, we're off, we're always really gracious in terms of providing, you know, mock interviews and whatnot. And so that really helped kind of set the way into investment banking. And I think every job I've had, there's always been somebody a bit more senior who I've really looked up to and have you know, try to, you know, learn from them and just do the best job I can for them as well. Um, But, you know, definitely it's important to find people that you look up to and just mentors that are willing to invest in you. And, you know, ultimately you give that back to the community as well. Yep. Yep. Um, Did you get a lot of outreach when, I'm not sure if you get a lot of outreach, of course, I'm sure you do today, but also in general, um, when it comes to, when you can do working at Platinum and before that, around individuals just looking to learn more? 
Yeah, yeah. I'm always happy to just jump on a call and kind of just pay for it. I feel like I wouldn't be here today without all the help that I've received. And so people are always, you know, messaging on LinkedIn or Instagram or something. And, you know, you know, busy days, but I'm always, you know, willing to make time for them. Yep. Yep. Nice. No, good to hear. Good to hear. Um, any questions on our end um, as you, because we haven't, um, we'll definitely have to like think through, of course, engaging uh, Jay a bit further here, depending of course on time, but naturally understand that a bit more senior. So it's, uh, you have the MD title too, right? <laughs> I compensate you quite a bit on the coaching side. No doubt. Oh man. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to help whenever. No, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, let's take a look here. Okay, we've got a question around the current investment thesis at Curo, if you're able or what you're able to share. Yeah, um, you know, I guess current investment thesis is that, you know, we partner with good doctors. We want to, you know, I guess, you know, we know we have the tools and resources to be able to run a hospital more efficiently mm -hmm. and better than, you know, just an individual owner. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a huge part of our thesis is, you know, just that automatic or not automatic, but just the value add that we can bring with all the resources from our end to, you know, run the hospital better. Mm -hmm. So we're, com we're comfortable with what we can offer on the table and then, I guess some of the other stuff I'm just really not allowed to speak about yet. Of course. Of course. Yeah. For what you are able to say. I think with the last couple of minutes here, if you don't mind me asking, Jay, um, and you tell me how you're doing on time. Maybe we can just do like one or two more, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah that's fine. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, uh, we had another individual ask about like deal size, EBITDA revenue. Yeah. We might have to keep that off the table, if that's okay. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, obviously, there's just a certain level of privacy here. Tell us a little bit more. Working at a large fund, working in a working with a smaller team. Pros, cons, analysis. As individuals think about this, sometimes if there's like a first-time fund that's hiring versus like a larger, larger firm, um, how do you think juniors should think about that? And kind of like what went through your mind um, going from like a large institution like a Merrill to, of course, um, where you are today through multiple avenues. I think a huge advantage of like the big companies is that there's so many resources available for you. Mm -hmm. They have like intense training programs and, you know, you're not going to be the first or second person who's done this job. There's probably have been like hundreds, if not thousands before you <clears throat> in your shoes. And so I think it's a lot more structured from that perspective. And I think um, that's a huge advantage. Whereas if you go to like a smaller place, there not be as many protocols in place and everybody kind of just all over the place trying to figure out what to do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a right or wrong way to do it. And I think ultimately I've always just picked every job based on the people there that, mm -hmm. you know, who was interviewing me, like who's going to be the deal team or who I'm going to be working with. Because I think if you look up to them and you're, you see, you know, a lot of, if there's, you know, if those are the people that you respect and look up to, you know, there's going to be a really Yeah, if you see yourself working with them, you want to work with good people, right? 
no one has time to uh excuse my language but like that kind of that, that asshole rule really does stand and abide by um or i think that really does resonate with many of the individuals that we work with today and then of course just as you get older right you have less and less tolerance yeah yeah exactly no i appreciate that man i think that makes a lot of sense um and I know you're on the road. So I, so one, I appreciate you really doing this. And of course, two, don't want to take too, too much time away. Um, but what a like killer operator here, right? Like literally on the road, meeting with sites, being with facilities. <laughs> um, and then of course, I'm sure like opening, well, you are opening up the laptop, just getting to work. So um, appreciate that, man. And it's awesome to hear that, of course, kind of coming from banking where it's like, listen, like you have to learn to function on a computer in a standard setting. And then you do the investing side of things kind of like in and out, you travel a little bit, but now tell me the truth, right? Like you could probably like run on the road, like day in and day out. Sure. It's exhausting, but like you can function at pretty darn high octane. Yeah. 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 That's, um, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, any other questions from your end, any other comments? Um, you tell me. No, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This looks like a really good company that you're working on and you know, starting. I'm excited to help out and be a part of it. Thank you, Jay. No, much appreciated. One last, sorry, if you don't mind. Um, how would you say banking helped get you where you are today? Or would you say that it did? I think I know the answer to that question, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like every job, you know, like I don't think it's hard to go into private equity without any banking experience. It's not impossible, but it's, you know, definitely the odds are against you so and I also feel like in banking you know you're working so many hours just like you're operating on like three four five hours half mm -hmm. the time on a live deal and so it really instills that work ethic inside of you and just I think that you know that was a super valuable part of the whole experience is just you know you gotta be like mentally strong to you know, or operate on so little sleep and, you know, do the job to like, you know, 95% or 100%. So yep. it, it was those lessons that really helped me, you know, to work. Teaches you how to work, right? Yeah. Are you hiring corporate analysts, anything of the sort? We just did, but once he's fully ramped up, I'll let you know. <laughs> sure, feel free. Yeah. yeah, I mean, happy to, of course, advertise it, push it forward. Um, because anyone that even like attended this, of course, I think that's interesting, right? Because they clearly wanted to learn more about you and the opportunity as a whole compared to the traditional individual where you might send over like, you know, here are 10 ops. And they're like, yeah, like I'll interview at all 10. It's like, do you really have a preference and an order or priority? Like you might as well go for the individuals that are asking these questions, right? Like what does like revenue EBITDA numbers look like? Hopefully it's not a competitor here, but you know, yeah. just getting an understanding of like someone who's genuinely passionate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um <clears throat> I mean, maybe there's some like internship opportunities we could discuss for some of these younger folks. Sure. Yeah, of course. As you think about this, um, and I guess we can like really, really wrap this up with one last part. Um, San Francisco, you love it? You hate it? How's it? How is it? <laughs> no, it's, it's a good city. I definitely yeah. feel no, like I'm mean, too, of course. So it's just some people have this perception. Yeah, you know, I feel like you can, if you have like, you know, good friends and just enjoy it. You know, you can just, you can honestly like the middle of nowhere and have a good time there too, you know, if you're surrounded by good people. So I think that's what's most important. And, yeah. yeah. 
hundred percent. It all comes down to people, man. Uh, I'm a big, big proponent of that. Speaking of uh, really some good people on this, uh, in this conversation and across uh, the screen for me here. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Appreciate it.